So let's move to Judges 16. I'm sure some of you guys have heard either sermons or know about Samson and Delilah. So we're going to open to Judges 16. So towards the beginning of your Old Testament, the seventh book of the Bible. Judges 16, we're going to read the entirety of it, and then we'll go through it. So the sacrifice of Samson. Judges 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gates of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose and told, uh, took hold of the doors and of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where great strength lies, and how you might be bound, that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I should become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart, and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head. 
for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And bound him with bronze shackles and he, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the, when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women, who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh God, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me, only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house was rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. But he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. So as I was trying to think of how to intro this, it came to me about purity culture. So growing up in the 90s, I'm sure some of you guys have seen the 90s, this is one of the main texts that was used for me and I'm sure many others on don't let seductresses, don't let temptresses come in, take over your life. You're following the Lord as much as you can. I think there are better texts to use for that than this. But like that, that purity culture that if you follow this, then this happens. If you're chaste, if you're good, if you're, if you're healthy, if you don't fall into temptation, that's when God's going to love you. That's when God says, this person is mine, he's following my rules, she's following my rules, they're not falling into temptation, that's when I love them. And so I saw in this, not necessarily something that's directly speaking to purity culture, like I said, there's other texts that we can use that for, both for chasteness, for humility, for purity, 
I saw this as more of a sacrifice, as we'll see a type of Christ, as we'll see Samson for us is a type of Christ. And we'll see that later on. And so I have four points, as you guys see, on the back of your sheet. There's the setting, that's the first five verses. The tests, that's the kind of the middle, the meat portion. And then the humbling, there's a transition right here. And the last one, the deliverance. So we follow, though imperfect and sinful, a type of Christ. And we see that in Samson. So the first part, the setting. This opening section is pretty interesting. So it kind of reminds us, if we go back to Judges 14. Judges 14, the first four verses, I think, have a little bit to do with how we understand Judges 16. And there's a little bit of conjecture on this. But I think there could be a case to be made. That's how he met Delilah. It's the beginning of Judges 14. Because there's some people who say, well, Delilah is just some random temptress who comes to Samson to try to take him down. And there's others who say, well, Delilah is his wife. And she's being used by the Philistines to take him down. And so we'll see what Judges has to say about this. So throughout Judges 13 to 16, Samson has competed with the Philistines. That's always his quote-unquote enemy from Judges 13 to 16. It's always the Philistines saying, we have to do something about this Samson guy. And Samson's always saying, I have to take the Philistines down, not just because of the Philistines, they have false idols, they have false worship, they're encroaching on top of my people. Samson's the Israelite judge. He's the one who's supposed to keep them on the law, looking to the Torah, looking to the way that they're supposed to pursue Yahweh. And the Philistines are the ones who are telling him, you can't follow this way. We're going to show you our worship. We're going to show you our pagan gods. So he's competing with the Philistines. They're always trying to figure out where this power comes from. They see how strong he is, saying, how does he have this? How do we use this to our advantage? And so another feat, there's a lot of feats of strength from Judges 13 to 16 that Samson uses. He has the jawbone. He's got a couple other things. Tearing off the doors and the gates of the city. That's another one. Just takes his gate, tears it off. And it feels like, where on earth does he get this power from? So they assume it's just power. They want to use his power for them, or if they can't, to destroy him. So we're introduced to Delilah in this, and her name, there's like a kind of a play on words. It can also like, it evokes like night. So she's seen as like nighttime. There's a, a word, there's a letter in front of it, but it's, I think there's a play. She's seen as this is not a good thing. That's about to happen. So it gives us another indicator of her intention, what's to come. And we also see, too, at the beginning, the setting, the city that they're in, from verses 1 through 4, what's called Gaza, is very close, we'll see later on, is in Sorek. So it's kind of the overarching valley is Sorek, and then Gaza is a town that's really close to this city. So Samson's very near to Philistine, and we're going to see why this matters later on. In verse 5 of Judges 16, again, this is all kind of setting. Verse 5, when it says, The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him 
that we may bind him to humble him, and we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. They're repeating Judges 14, 15. There's, kind of, there's another repetition there. They're trying to utilize somebody else to get to Samson. And this is a conflict of a religious nature. So they're born to Manoah. His birth was attended by an angel. There's, there's a lot of like prophetic elements with, with Samson as well. So Samson's not just a strong guy for Israel. That's kind of what I was taught growing up. He's just a really strong guy. He tears things. He kills a lot of people. And we're not really sure, like, why is Samson good? Why is Samson in Judges 16? And also in Hebrews, Hebrews 11 says Samson effectively is a good guy. Samson's a type of Christ. And there's a lot of tension. He kills a lot of people. He's really strong. There's a lot of this stuff coming around with him. How do we put these two together? And we see from, I'll just name them off. You guys don't have to go to that. So Judges 13, 24 to 25, Judges 14, 6, Judges 14, 19, and Judges 15, 14. All of these show that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Samson. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Samson. This usually means, almost universally, that he's like a prophet. He's a special spokesman. He's the one whom the law comes through, and he's the one who judges Israel, like we said. So he's an anointed leader. He's specifically chosen by Yahweh to pursue the law with Israel. This is a special and prophetic person. And his birth is shown to us in chapters 13 and 14. His strength is not just strength. It's not just somebody, if you guys go to the gym, you guys see that really strong grunting guy in the back corner of the gym, the 24 of the goal's gym. And he's lifting a lot of weight, making a lot of sounds. You guys, oh, that's a strong guy. He walks through, he like, like rips open the door, he's like, I'm here, I'm ready to go. That's not necessarily who Samson is. And I think that's like all too often kind of the picture that we have of Samson. He's a strong guy, but his, his strength is from somewhere. And we see where his strength is from. And so Delilah, whether or not she's his wife, and again, there's a lot of conjecture on whether or not she's his wife, is used by the Philistines to take him down. And again, we see a picture of this. Somebody close to Samson tries to take him down. We see in Jesus, somebody close to Jesus takes him down. So somebody familial, a disciple, somebody close is used to take them down. So this scene is now set. Samson, Delilah, the Philistines, where they're at, Philistines want this guy's power for their own gain, or they want him down. They want him gone. And then Delilah's there to be used by the Philistines. Somebody close to Samson to be used by the Philistines. So we move on to the middle, kind of the meat portion of Judges, so what I call the tests, like the temptations. So the first test from Judges chapter 16 Verses 6 to 9. So the first test. You have to wonder, how does Samson not know? So Delilah is coming up to Samson. He's like, oh, random question. How can I take your strength away from you? Would it not be obvious if you're Samson, what is she doing? She wants to tie me. She wants to take away my strength. 
I think all too often we read through it just to get through it and don't really ask us, if I was Samson and somebody's asking me, how can I take their strength away? What we would think. It was, it was just striking to me that he just kind of floats it off. And why is Delilah so purposeful, it seems so purposeful, to ask him where his strength lies from? It's a really weird scene. I think today would be a really weird scene. And what's also interesting is Samson uses the word they. When Delilah asks him, how is your great strength? How can I take away your great strength? He doesn't say you. He says they. Either he knows something or he thinks she's just playing. Either she's just playing around or she knows something. And then with this test, with all of these tests, there's kind of an underlying factor. Do you guys know the place with Exodus? Or before, like right as they go through the Exodus, before they go to the Exodus, the ten plagues. And there's like some imagery, some ancient imagery, where Yahweh takes down like a certain god, the Nile, or he takes down the sun, or he takes down the firstborn. There's some play on like, there's this Egyptian god, and Yahweh takes the plagues as, no, I'm sovereign over these Egyptian gods. There's kind of that same thing happening with Judges 16. So this fresh rope was viewed in the society as like very particularly divine. Anything fresh, brand new, had like divine aspects to it. Within Philistine culture, it was like divine. And so when she brings up, or when Samson brings up, I have this fresh rope, or if you have this fresh rope, you tie me with it, I can't be defeated. I think he's using, you use your foreign divinities... My God will overcome this. My God is sovereign over this. And these bowstrings were also typically used by warriors. So there's a lot of imagery going around. They use this to try to take me down. My anointing, my prophetic status, my judging status will overcome this. So he's saying, I will overcome this, but not I, the one who's anointed me, we see in Judges 14, the spirit of Yahweh has, has kind of come upon him, has pushed on him, I will overcome this. And then this weak as any other man, I will become as weak as any other man. Again, all too often, for me, for a lot of people, this is, I will just be a weak person. I will be like nobody else. But it really is, he has the anointing. He's saying, I will not be a judge. I will not be prophetic. I will not be whom the Spirit of the Lord has made me. So we have to ask a question, and it's a weird question. Why is Samson trusting her? Why is Samson kind of going along with this game? Is it he just thinks they're playing like a weird game? Does he think that she's not going to do what she's going to do? Because she does it four times. You would think after the first one, he would have learned his lesson and said, I think after the first three, I shouldn't tell her where my strength lies on the fourth one. But there's a very specific reason why he allows this to happen. Again, he allows this to happen. We'll see why at the end. Then the second test, kind of the same thing. New robe to bind Samson after Delilah blames him for lying. Why do you keep lying to me, Samson? Why are you telling me that this is how your great strength can be taken away. This is how your anointing can be taken away from you. 
he uses this thing again, new rope. And this is another one where there's a Semitic kind of the outside culture understanding that anything new has a divine nature to it. And he's again saying, whatever you do, my God will overcome this. The one who's anointed me will overcome this. Samson again is proven through this test. He breaks it as flax as he's done the other one, as if somebody pulled up a torch and took it off. The next test, the third test, the head wraps and seven locks of Samson's hair. This one was confusing. Why on earth is he telling her, if you wrap up my hair in these seven locks, that's what's going to get me emasculated or less divine or whatever it may be. So yeah, this is another kind of play, this seven. Why does this seven occur? It's the same kind of reason that these ropes are. Seven, again, was viewed with like divine status. We also know this from the Bible too. Seventh day being holy in their culture as well. Number seven also being kind of a holy divine number. And so he's using this as another play on their divine gods. You use your divine gods on me, my God will overcome this. And I also like, it's kind of fun to think about like, it's dreadlocks. He has no somebody with dreadlocks. That's what he's wearing. I saw some funny pictures with Samson dreadlocks. But that's, as far as people know, that's what he looked like. Unkept, unwashed hair. Uh, just regular dreadlocks. And it's weird too. It's almost like Samson with these dreadlocks. And there's another play from Job. Job, I think 33 or 13, uses this for a woman. So the seven locks of hair is kind of a, a womanly thing to do for like a crafter, somebody who makes foods. It's how, they, it's how they would distinguish that versus a man. And so I think he's also, he's also kind of playing on that thing too. There was another divine status for an effeminate man. And so he was playing on this picture as well with Delilah. No matter what you do, no matter what God you place on me, no matter what God you put to the test against Yahweh, he will overcome. And we go to the fourth test, the last test at the end. This one includes that Nazarite vow that we've heard about before. And the way that this is structured is how the original readers would have read this. This is like, it's what's called a 3-1. So the first three tests would have been building up intention. In the last test, the readers would have been like, something's about to go down. Something bad's about to happen. It was like our like, story arc right now. We have this plot. We have this rising action. We have this climax. We have this falling action. Any Pixar movie you have ever seen. The Hebrews would have seen this as a Pixar movie. They're like, oh, stuff's about to go down. These three tests are getting to something really, really bad. And this last test is where it all goes down. So this is really, it's like highly charged. They would, have like, they would have been reading this as we watch movies. What is about to happen with this forced test? And notice too, this is the only test that Delilah doesn't ask him where his strength lies. She doesn't explicitly ask it. She says, why don't you love me? She kind of flips on him. Instead of going directly for the kill, 
she uses her, why don't you love me? And then Samson says, you've like, you've asked me so many times, it's that quote-unquote nag like nagging wife, asking you and asking you and asking you and asking you, finally you break down. Or your boss telling you, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you finally break down. Almost to the point of death, like Samson says. She'd ask him so many times to the point of death. And so it either, this point of death either summarizes everything or just says there are many more tests. Either way, Samson's over it and says, I can't take this anymore. Here you go. Even though she doesn't explicitly ask him where his strength lies. But again, she doesn't ask him. She doesn't say or ask him specifically, where does your strength lies? Where does your anointing come from? He voluntarily gives it up. He voluntarily gives up his power. He does not have to tell her where his strength lies from. He doesn't have to tell her at all, and he can continue this game, or he can just walk away. He does not have to tell Delilah where his strength comes from. And again, we'll see how this forms our picture of Jesus. His giving up his own life. His not coming from the civil authorities telling him this is how you die. Him specifically saying, this is how I will lay down my life. And again, he says, he's laying aside his consecration. At the end, his hair is shaven. His strength leaves him. He's allowed to be humbled. And so this gives us, brings us to the humbling. His hair is shaven off. He tells her, okay, if my hair is shaven off, that's where my great strength lies. I'm a Nazarite from birth. My hair is a symbol of my consecration. This is how I can be a masculine. This is how I can be my divine status. My anointing is gone. So the humbling, the, uh, the next six verses, Judges 16, 20 to 25. The Lord had left him. The Lord was with him. And as his hair is shaven, the Lord leaves him. And the hair is just that symbol. Hair's symbol being the Lord's anointing the Samson. And Samson doesn't seem worried. He's not freaking out, where's my power? Where's my hair? He says, I will get up as any other time. I will do what I've done the last three times. Does not realize that the Lord has left him. So the Philistines, they blind his eyes. And I've wondered, why does it matter that they blind his eyes? I think it's as simple as he can't see them. So even if they go after him, he can't see them to take them down. And so he's no longer a threat. So his hair is shaven off. His eyes are gouged out. And then this grinding grain is kind of another way of the Philistines taking Samson, taking his power away, taking his hair away, taking everything, stripping him of everything, and then emasculating him. This is this this phrase grinding grain or at the mills is used in Job 31 and Isaiah 47 as something typically in that culture that a woman would do. And so they're using this as playing on Samson. They're driving their judgment even further down onto Samson. But the power, as we see, doesn't reside in Samson's hair. It doesn't reside in what we do. It doesn't reside 
in what Samson does. It resides in the Lord choosing Samson, anointing him, because that's where he comes back. He leaves him so that he can be brought into the Philistines' hands. And it comes back once he's in the Philistines' hands. So he allows him to be humbled. Allows him to go into the Philistines' hands. So the officials have brought Samson. And this is a, this is a worship service. It doesn't say it. This is a worship service. And when he's dancing kind of at the end, that's worship dancing. That's, they have this, their god Dagon that they're worshiping. They're telling Samson, hey, run around. Do your worship stuff. Do our worship stuff. Worship our God through dance. So he's entering into this worship service, this pagan worship service. And he doesn't say it, but all these kind of elements, like we know of a wedding, if there's a minister up front, there's a groom, there's a bride, there's people, it's a wedding. Same thing for the Philistines. They're at a pagan worship service. They bring Samson to this worship service, going to further drive in this judgment. So it brings us to deliverance. So he's put into the Philistines' hands. He's humbled. He's in the basements with these Philistines. And now something happens. A seemingly innocent request. Just telling the servant boy, or whoever that boy is, hey, can you lean me against the pulse? And the boy's like, okay, I'll lean you against the pulse. And this is providing us what we know is going to happen later. And this building seems to be representative. There's a lot of people at this building. 3,000 on the roof, probably just as many at the worship service would usually do, is have this big kind of rectangle and people lining the outside of this rectangle. People on top looking down through this temple as well, watching the sacrifices go on, watching the dancing go on, watching all this go on. So this is a, this is a massive temple. This is a really big temple. Kind of a, like it's evoking, like this is, a, this is a good portion of the Philistine people. And Samson's right in the middle of it. He's like kind of at the, the base structure. If this, if this building was only upheld by these pillars, he's right where those pillars are. Right at the heart of where the Philistines are. We also see too, Yahweh is not left. The Lord has not left Samson. All he did was he merely delivered Samson according to his knowledge, according to his timing, to the Philistines. We see an escalation of Samson's deliverance providing for the people of Israel. He goes from taking down 30 previously in Judges to 100 later on in Judges, and now 3,000. So his deliverance is getting greater and greater and greater in picture. And now he's with 3,000. We have to see this in conflicts with his people, in conflict with the true worship. This is not merely... Samson judging the people of Philistine. This is the Lord executing his judgments on a foreign nation who do not worship him. And Samson voluntarily gives up his life at the end of this. So then Samson, in verse 28, called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that it may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against one, and his right hand on the other, and his left hand on the other. And then he says, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's, 
and upon all the people who were in it. The dead whom he killed at, the death, at his death were more than all those he had killed during his life. So he's delivered over to the Philistines in order to save his people. He's a judge of Israel, as it says the very end. He had judged Israel 20 years. It says that in the last chapter, also in the last verse as well. So we're seeing this full picture. Samson's not just a strong guy, though he is. Samson was not just tempted, though he was. He's tempted for a very specific reason. Though imperfectly, he's tempted to be delivered over to the Philistines so that he can save his people. And we see this, the author of Hebrews also tells us this in Hebrews chapter 11. If you guys want to move to Hebrews chapter 11 as we close out. Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of an interpretation on Samson and Delilah. It says in Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 34, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel the prophets, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. As the author of Hebrews gives us the interpretation of Samson, he is made powerful through his weakness. He's made powerful through being weakened, being humbled, his hair being cut off, the Lord leaving him for a time, being put into the, grasp, into the hands, the grasp of the Philistines, so that in Philistine control, he can save his people. He can save, we see in Christ, fully, Christ can save us. Christ was humbled in the same way. Christ was taken in the same way, where he willingly, in the perfect way, gave up his life, allowed himself to be, his life to be taken for our sins, as we see a picture in Samson. We are those Israelites whom Samson is saving through Philistine, or through Philistine power, as a fuller picture of Christ, his humbling, his on the cross, his crucifixion, being for our sakes, for our sins, he being delivered, being humbled for us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray that any words that I have said that are not of you are forgotten, and that your gospel is truly proclaimed, that your son is lifted up, that faith in him is what's lifted up, that he was humbled for our sake, he was downcast for our sake, your son willingly and on his own went to the cross to die for our sins, to pay the price that we owe, as we see a picture in Samson. Though imperfect, we see a picture of the one to come that we now see that Samson was pointing forward to. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.